So if you have your Bibles with you, come with me to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. We're going to be looking today at the subject of wrestling with God. One of the classic passages of scriptures, of course, is in the book of Genesis with Isaac. But this is um, an insight into wrestling with God with the call of Nathanael. John 1 and verse 43 to 51. Jesus calls Philip and Nathanael. It's on page 1064 of your church Bibles. <clears throat> Father God, we do pray that you open this word up to us in our hearts. Help us to understand what it means to wrestle with God in prayer. Enable us to see the truths of your scriptures that release us and affirm us in this. In Jesus' name. Amen. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael. I love that. Philip found Nathanael. <coughs> Philip is an evangelist. In fact, if you read through the scriptures, you'll, you'll see that again and again. He's somebody who finds people, is what evangelists do. There's a prompting in the spirit, there's a kind of impression in the spirit, and he kind of sense something, and so he just goes up to them and says, I think I found the Messiah, do you want to come along? And this is what he's done with, with Nathaniel. Nathaniel, and he told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. This is the only time in scripture where Jesus is described as the son of Joseph. And it's interesting he says that to Nathaniel because when you look at Nathaniel, Nathaniel is a kind of, you know, I don't mess about. You know, I call a spade a spade and we just call it as it is and that's the kind of person that he is. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see. I think that's what we do as, as Christians, isn't it? We say to people, come and see. That's our, that's our prayer. Come and see for yourself and encounter Jesus. And when Jesus saw Nathanael <clears throat> um, <clears throat> approaching, he said to him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. I want you to note that. You know, remember it took Peter three years before he was willing to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Nathaniel's there, boom, straight away. Yep, you're Christ, you're God, that's it, sorted. A spade, a spade, we're sorted. Jesus said, you, you believe me because I told you I saw, I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. And he added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Another, of course, another reference there to the wrestler of God, Jacob himself. The thing about Nathaniel was that he was honest. And we see that clearly in this scripture. He was upfront and he was honest. He doesn't beat about the bush, he just tells it as it is. And um, <clears throat> we don't often get that in church. And you don't often get that in spirituality because very often people will pray in, in a kind of religious way 
When I was at, I went to a church, and there was a moment in the church where we always had a, a moment where there was a prayer time. <clears throat> and every week there was this prayer time. It was an open time of prayer led by the Spirit. But only six people ever contributed to it. And it was always the same six. And they always contributed in the same order. And it was always the same prayer. <laughs> same prayer. And then we get to the end, and Bill, who was from Kent, used to pray in a Yorkshire accent. He said, oh, you know me, Lord. I've been on the road 27 years, Lord, 27 years, man and boy. And, and people sort of saying to me, why is he speaking in a Yorkshire accent? I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe that's his tongue. Maybe his tongue is Yorkshire. I don't know. And, uh, and this went on for, for week after week, year after year after year, until suddenly somebody started to pray. A guy in the church started to pray, and I knew it was going to be different because you could hear the kind of quivering on the lip and a little bit of sort of, you know, sort of tightness in the throat. And he started to pray, and he started to say, God, you weren't there. I thought you were going to be there for me. And, and it was really honest, and it was just raw and real and honest. And it was talking about his breakdown and the breakdown of his wife. And there were tears, and you can see. And I was sat at the back row, and I didn't need to see people's faces because everyone immediately went like this, you know. You can kind of get that kind of impression from people in the church. My goodness, what's going on? And, um, and he's just being absolutely real with God and wrestling with God in his prayers. And we didn't know what to do with it. And then the pastor at the end said, let's sing what a friend we have in Jesus. But God loves it. He loves the Nathaniel prayers when we're real with him. And in fact, if you look through the scriptures, you'll see it time and time again where people have wrestled in reality and honesty with God. One of the classic people, of course, is Moses, who in the call of Moses was just basically in an argument with God. Exodus 3.11, if you want to turn to it, Exodus 3.11, where God speaks to Moses Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Me? Are you sure you want me? No, it can't be me. And God said, I'll be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. And when you brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God on this mountain. And Moses said, he didn't say, yes, Lord, of course, I shall go forth under the power of your name and bring the port. No, he says, um, he says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you, and they ask, what's your name? Right? What do I do then? Hmm? Hmm? What do I say if they ask me what's your name? He's in an argument with God. When God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I have and then later on he says, oh, I can't do it. I haven't got the words. I've got to send for somebody else. It can't be me. And so you get this kind of real kind of tangle that Moses has with God, and it's a real tangle. It's a real kind of wrestle with him. And he's true with him, and he's honest with him. And Nathaniel's the same. He's really a kind of spade. Spade is a spade. It's not a digging implement. It's a spade. And if you argue with me, I'll smack it around your head. It's a spade kind of person. Nazareth. 
Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What is Nathaniel doing? He sat under a fig tree. Now, the fig tree in rabbinic teaching and thinking symbolized the religion of Israel. Nathaniel, if you like, is under that religion. He's under that tree. And in fact, families at the time in ancient Israel would often plant a fig tree in their gardens. And they would sit under the fig tree to read the Torah or to recite things or to pray to God. In the story of Adam and Eve, it was the religion that they placed upon themselves when they were separated from God. It was the religion of the fig leaf. It was that very same religion that Jesus cursed and said, this is dead because it hasn't recognized who I am. And here is, here is Nathaniel under this fig tree. What's he doing? He's wrestling with God. That's why Jesus says, here is a man of no guile. Jesus recognizes this is a Jacob. This is a wrestler with me. He hasn't worked it out in his mind and he's still kind of battling with it. But he's being honest and upfront, and that's who he is. Nazareth? Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. What are you talking about? Messiah can't come from Nazareth? How is that going to work? It's a wrestle, isn't it? And God loves it. He loves that faith journey. That's a struggle with him. Not an indifference. Where somebody engages fully with him. And wrestles with him. When I was a kid in the 1970s. I used to watch wrestling. Did you used to, anybody go back that far? You used to watch wrestling. And you used to have characters like Big Daddy. Do you remember Big Daddy? Big Giant haystacks. And Big Daddy and Mick McManus. He looked about 68 if he was a day, didn't he? I mean, Mick McManus. And, um, and their idea of wrestling was that they would throw themselves against the rope and then propel themselves towards one another and bump into one another with their bellies. And we thought that was wrestling. And then I saw wrestling in the Olympics and it wasn't wrestling. Wrestling in the Olympics is totally different. It's two people on a mat and they barely move. And the reason they don't move is because they are locked into this intense struggle with every single fibre of their being. And you get this impression, that's wrestling. Where you're locked in. You're not indifferent to God. You're not saying, oh, I'm not going to bother. Actually, no, you're with him. You're in the room. And if, even if some ways you're raging with God, like the man in the church who says, Lord, where were you at that time? There's something that God wants of that. Because when we become the Jacob that wrestles with God, we get through that process. Something in us changes. And the Lord says, you were Jacob. But now you are Israel. Because you wrestled with me. You, you struggled with me. And you took your struggle. And you took your pain. And you brought it to me. And I loved it. And Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. But if you want to see what Jacob does, it's in 32, Genesis 32, 24. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. 
And when the man saw what he could not overcome, sorry, overcome him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and he was wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to let this go until something changes. And the man asked him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome, because you have struggled with God. Amazing words. Your name is no longer Jacob. It is Israel, because you have struggled with God. That's an amazing thing to say. To pray is to change. It's a journey, isn't it, our faith? And sometimes we think, well, people have got faith or they haven't got faith, but actually we know this. Faith is like a muscle. We know that, don't we? It's trained. It's exercised. It grows. It develops. And every time we engage with God, Every time we seek with him in our honesty of how we are truly feeling, something in us moves and changes, develops. He's able to do something that is just able to enlarge us. And the call is, please, please don't become indifferent. Please don't leave the room, but stay in the room with me, says God, and engage with me. When Sarah and I got married in... Make sure I get it right, because I'm going to be on tape. 1994, 20th of August. Let's go. <laughs> we went on our first... Uh, we're on a honeymoon to France. We thought we'd drive to, honeymoon, well, we'd drive to France in Sarah's car, which was a very aged, beaten-up old VW. And we took it out into France, just got outside of Calais, and the tyre blew. So we're at the side of the road with the tyre blown, Went to the boot, lifted the boot up, spare tyre, brilliant, great. No tyre iron, no hammer, no jack, no spanner. Brilliant. So we had to get this guy come in, cost us a fortune just to tie, and he couldn't work out why we couldn't change the tyre, because we haven't got the tools, you know. And he was sort of there, sort of muttering to him, I couldn't, I couldn't understand what he was saying, so on glaze, on glaze. And then and they sort of put the tyre on, took the money off us, and then we drove off, and we were like, you can imagine, because things were a little bit tense. It's our first day of honeymoon, and things weren't quite going that well. And, um, and then I drove into the nearest petrol station in a petrol car and filled it up with diesel. And then um, we started driving off again. And imagine, by this stage, things were getting even more tense, first day of the honeymoon. And, um, and there, was some, there was smoke billowing out of the front of the car, literally billowing. And Sarah says, there's quite a lot of smoke. I said, yeah, it's okay, it's just a bit lively. And, um, and it, was, it was like... I mean, we actually, at one point, I actually couldn't see where I was going. So we had to get that into a garage, had to get the whole thing sort of, sort of flushed out and, and sorted out. And it, it, was, um, it wasn't the best start, let's put it that way, it wasn't the best start. But we're still together. <laughs> We've been through that and many others. Because it's so important you stay in the room, isn't it? Now... The, the, the author, Philip Yancey, I love his, he's got this little analysis where he says um, that when he's at home and he, he, he has a row with his wife, what happens is that he decides this isn't going anywhere, so I'm just going to leave the room. Okay, I'm just going to quietly withdraw and I'll leave the room. And she wanders in and continues the argument. 
And then he goes into another room, and she's following him, continuing the argument. And he goes into another one, and she won't leave him alone. So just basically, they just walk around the house, arguing in one room to another. But I love that, because, well, I don't love it, but I think it's a useful illustration. Because rather than sort of just sulking, going off and being in different places, she won't leave the room. And we mustn't leave the room with God. We mustn't decide, Lord... Can't be doing with this anymore. I'll go and do something else. He much, much prefers us to have it out with him. Let's be in the room. Let's let's engage with the Lord. Because that's really what he wants. He wants us to be like the Nathaniels, to be like the Jacobs who wrestle with him, and it's all honest and 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 it's all part of our desire, and it's all who we are, and we're just laying it on the line. It doesn't matter if we haven't got the right words, and it doesn't matter if we're being absolutely honest, because he loves it. He loves it. And he says, you know, I never promised you that I'd only lead you beside still waters and green pastures. I promised you also that I would lead you through the valley too. That's where we'll go. And there will be green pastures and there will be valleys, but I will always be with you. I heard a story of a chaplain to a hospice who was handling a patient who was in great emotional distress. He was in the last stages of cancer, quite a young man. And he was feeling guilty because he spent the previous night just raging against God, swearing at God, raging at him. Actually threw something across the room at God. I'm not quite sure what the physics of that are, but there we are. But that's what you do when you're in that situation. And, the, and the, the chaplain came and sat by his bed, and he just wanted to hear what he had to say. And he said, at one point he said to him, what do you think is the opposite to love? And he said, I think hate is the opposite to love. And the chaplain said, no, it wasn't. It's not the opposite to love. Indifference. Indifference is the opposite to love. But when we engage with him, something can change in us. Even if the circumstances don't change, something in us changes. And I think then the circumstances tend to as well. No, the opposite to love is indifference. And we must never stay indifferent to God when we go through those difficult times. We've got to follow him around the house and keep in the room and keep asking the question and keep engaging with him and say to him, Lord, I just want to have this, I, need, I just need to tell you about this. I need to be honest and tell you how I really feel. And battle it through until we get to that place where God says to us, Your name is no longer Jacob, but it's Israel, because you have struggled with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for those passages of scripture, Jacob and Moses and Nathaniel as well. These people are real, with real emotion and real circumstances. And we need to keep it real. We need to keep our relationship with you engaged and real, even when it's really difficult. 
And there are times when we want to rage. And we mustn't feel that we can't do that. We mustn't feel that we can't be honest. And that we need to walk away because you don't want us to walk away. You want us to stay in the room with you. Teach us, we pray, Lord, how to hold on to you, to grasp hold of the, of the sleeve of your robe, if you like, and sometimes to tug it and hold on to it even tighter because we need to do that. And not to feel guilty because you love that in us. You want us sometimes to just get so close and so engaging is like a wrestling match. Every fibre in our being is engaged with you. And then we change. And then something in us moves and shifts. We just want to come before you now, Lord. And we're just going to do that. Let's just come before the Lord in prayer. In a moment, we're going to pray for one another. We're going to pray for our nation. We need to do that today as well. But let's just for the moment just come before the Lord and just quietly in our hearts just share where we are and our hearts with him. And say, Lord, we want to be real with you. Something in us discovers more of who you are the more we engage with you. And we want to be real. We pray, Father, would you just come? Come and draw us. Come and meet with us in all that we have. Yes, Lord. Praise your name.